When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As you know, I'm a, about as huge a fan of mangroves as anybody you'll ever meet in the aquarium lobby. These are amazing plants. They're adaptable, they're hardy, and incredibly important to the ecosystems in which they're found. There's a few factors which appear to limit the distributions of mangroves in nature, primarily climate, saltwater, tidal fluctuation, and soil type. Other than that, they're pretty damn adaptable. And there's, a, there's more than like 50 species of mangroves found throughout the world. Uh, they thrive in oxygen-deprived sediments, which would pretty much spell doom for most plants. They've evolved certain morphological and physiological responses, which allow them to survive in these real harsh habitats. Now, mangroves employ a sort of internal ionic regulation process. The red mangrove, which I'm obsessed with, Rhizophora mangle, which is the most common one we encounter in the aquarium hobby, is known to botanists as a salt excluder, which separates fresh water at the root surface by creating a type of non-metabolic filtration system. The process of transpiration, which is the exhalation of water vapor at the leaf surface, creates negative pressure in the xylem, which is the vascular tissue in the plants that conducts water and dissolved nutrients upward from the roots. And this causes a type of reverse osmosis to occur at the root surface. The salt concentration of xylem sap in the red mangrove has been found to be about 170th of the salt of the surrounding seawater. This is 10 times higher than in normal plants, of course, but it's amazing. So this thing can live in that type of environment, essentially filter out the salt and exude it through its leaves. A remarkable plant. The red mangrove stores and disposes of this excess salt in the leaves and in the fruit, which is one reason why we spray the leaves down regularly in our saltwater and brackish tanks because it helps avoid the salt buildup on their surfaces, just like rain does. Yeah, mangroves are incredibly adaptable. I've kept them for decades in all sorts of aquariums, reefs, brackish water, fresh water, and oh yeah, black water. And you're like, what, black water? Yeah, perhaps that one maybe took you by surprise, maybe not. However, a lot of hobbyists weren't aware that some mangroves are found in the freshwater habitats in the wild, particularly in parts of Southeast Asia. Now, notice I said freshwater and not necessarily black water. Uh, the predominant species found in freshwater habitats in Asia is called Barringtonia acutalanga. It's definitely one you won't likely see in the aquarium hobby. You might not even know that mangroves don't require saltwater to survive, but in fact, most mangroves are capable of growing in freshwater habitats just great. Most don't in the wild because of competition from other plants. However, some species do need salt to actually complete their life cycle. Crazy, right? So there are some that do grow in these kind of acidic water situations in Southeast Asia. I've seen some pictures, I've shared them on the, the blog. So there are them. And however, when I did a pretty exhausting search of blackwater habitats for mangroves, I could barely find any information on them. So although they are there, I just don't think that it's been studied as a uh, primary habitat for, um, for mangroves. Again, mangroves are halophytes, they're salt tolerant plants, which means they maintain that you know, sufficient freshwater inside their cells against that higher osmotic pressure in the root environment. And that can vary 
between freshwater and can go up to three times seawater concentration. They're really, really adaptable to these types of environments. They have remarkable adaptation techniques to freshwater and marine environments, including a reproductive strategy in which the seeds don't go through a dormant phase and they're viviparous, germinating while they're still attached to the parental plant, which is kind of cool. Now the seedlings, which are called propicals, that's what we're familiar with, they have little cucumbers, are buoyant, they're photosynthetically capable, and they're often transported in tidal and ocean currents, sometimes over really significant distances, and they'll wash up on a beach and find somewhere and start growing. Mangrove trees are able to tolerate incredible um, water level fluctuations, tidal changes, from partially submerged to completely exposed, and then back to partly submerged, all again in the course of a day. It's pretty remarkable to see. They're part of a highly diverse ecosystem. The productivity of mangrove habitats is important for supporting food webs, which we talk about extensively here. The productivity of mangrove forest is equivalent to the most productive terrestrial forest. It's remarkable. They're perfectly suited for their role as producers, and they host enormous amounts of life within and among their structure. Because mangrove forests, which are sometimes called mangals, are typically mud or peat-based systems, prop roots provide the hard substrate essential for settlement by many sessile organisms like crabs and so forth. And this is also evident, you'll see this in the aquarium where snails and so forth um, will gather on these, on these prop roots. Now, mangrove systems are dynamic, they're highly complex, and they're not really well understood habitats. They've been described as detritus-based ecosystems, something I find both compelling and exciting as a hobbyist. This has had profound impact on my utilization of mangroves and natural systems. The whole point of this piece is to talk about the remarkable ways you can play with mangroves and tanks. Now, our representation of them in the aquarium, while certainly more limited than nature in terms of functions, can still provide very interesting, very productive habitats for a variety of fishes and other organisms with unique benefits that we seldom have embraced in the hobby. Fungi and bacteria in brackish and saltwater mangrove ecosystems help facilitate the decomposition of mangrove material, just like their pure freshwater counterparts. You know, leaf drop happens a lot. Interestingly, in scientific studies, it's been determined that bacterial counts are generally higher on attached mangrove leaves than they are in freshly fallen leaf litter. This is fascinating to me because ecologists feel that attached, undamaged mangrove leaves don't release much tannin. Hmm which as we know, might have some antibacterial properties. I know I'm making a stretch here, but I think it's interesting. It's also been found that the materials like humic acid, which are abundant in the mangroves, stimulate phytoplankton growth there. This is really interesting. It's like this chemical soup of all kinds of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Now the leaves of mangroves, as they break down, become subject to both leaching the compounds in their tissues as well as microbial breakdown. Compounds like potassium and carbohydrates are commonly leached out really quickly, followed by the tannins. Fungi, as usual, are the first responders to leaf drop in mangrove communities, followed by bacteria, which serve to break the leaves down further. Okay, so a lot of interesting stuff on the, the, the habitats in the wild, but getting back to the original premise of this blog, people ask me all the time, can you sprout mangroves in blackwater systems? And you can, for those of you that are so inclined. I do this regularly, I've done this regularly, in low pH, acidic environments, um, with dark, dark water, definitely done this. The key with success to mangroves, in my opinion, is to start with propagals and sprout them in the type of water that you intend to keep them in, fresh, brackish, marine, whatever. Although they're supremely adaptable plants, they tend to do poorly when you sprout them in freshwater and then suddenly transplant them to saltwater or vice versa. Just use common sense, it makes sense, right? So aquarium, soft, acidic blackwater conditions are just fine for mangroves. 
if you sprout them that way and provide a rich substrate. As I mentioned at the outset, I've done many, many times, uh, I've, I've done this with a great deal of success. Although the common red mangroves are typically not found in freshwater, let alone blackwater, it seems to do just fine in my experience. Let's just beat up on one little, little I don't know, hobby assertion about mangroves that we hear all the time, though. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to get mangroves. This is especially common in the reef community. I'm going to get mangroves because they're a nutrient export mechanism uh, for my aquarium. Now, while it's absolutely true that mangroves can assimilate organic materials from the aquarium, as they do in the wild, you know, for their growth, these trees grow incredibly slowly. And the net nutrient uptake from the aquarium would be correspondingly slow. You'd literally need... They just don't produce a harvestable biomass quickly. In other words, a lot of leaf drops and growth the way aquatic plants or algae do. And besides, to achieve any appreciable, you know, meaningful, impactful nutrient export from mangroves in an aquarium, you'd likely require like a dozen full-grown mangroves for, you know, your 50-gallon aquarium or whatever. It's that slow. So let's just drop the whole nutrient export rationale as a reason to keep mangroves just once and for all. And enjoy them for what they are, beautiful, adaptable trees, and that's what they are, trees, which can form the foundation of a really dynamic ecosystem within the aquarium. Now again, too, um, we'll often hear arguments that keeping a tree in an aquarium is kind of crazy and whatever. Now, I admit a full-grown 30-foot-tall mangrove tree is pretty much impossible to keep in a home aquarium. However, these trees grow incredibly slowly reaching you know houseplant like sizes large house uh, and, and after like a year or, or more and i'm talking houseplant maybe 10 12 inches like you know a third of a meter and with frequent pruning you'll see that they can actually be maintained in an almost bonsai like size at just a few feet tall almost indefinitely all the while putting down this in- impressive extensive intricate root system that they're so well known for if you you know sprout them correctly so if you're fascinated by these amazing trees, you can obtain them legally and responsibly. If you're up for the challenge of keeping them over the long haul, mangroves are a fascinating and attractive addition to your specialized aquarium. And keeping mangroves in the aquarium is about husbandry and perspective as much as it is about anything else. It's about accepting the fact that mangroves and the leaves that they drop are part of the ecology of an aquarium and that they'll behave as all terrestrial materials do when they submerge. They'll break down and decompose and, you know, imparting their internally bound up compounds in the water. It's that cycle of life thing that we talk about all the time. That leads to so much more. They'll form the basis of a surprisingly complex food chain, which includes our friends, the biofilms, the fungi, and lots of little crustaceans. All these life forms supporting, to some extent, those above, including our fishes. So when you think about mangroves, uh, don't think of them so much as hardscape props, but as a dynamic biological component of a closed microcosm. Then it all makes a lot more sense. The unique biology which these leaves and trees support as they release materials and break down form the basis for one of nature's most fascinating ecological habitats. I encourage you to jump in and play around with some mangroves if you're up for the challenge. Stay curious, stay thoughtful, stay diligent, stay observant, stay creative, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.